0: Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So, the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July. This is for our Warnable and Great South Coast take on board friends. An event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout-out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show.
1: Adelaide, Tantania is on Ghana country. And uh, I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present, and emerging leaders and thank them especially for their custodial care of this land and these waters.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halja Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable, and exciting. Yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Trish Hansen about purpose, culture and diversity. First, let me tell you about Trish. Trish is on the boards of the South Australia Living Arts Festival and she established Kindred Australia. She was previously the president of the Australian Institute of Urban Studies, the interim chair of Together Now and a director of the Australian Institute of Patient and Family Centred Care. Trish is the founding principal of Urban Mind Studio. As a strategist and systems designer in the fields of health, well-being, arts and culture, Trish works to enrich the culture and cultural life of places, neighbourhoods and cities. As a natural collaborator, complex systems thinker and regenerative practitioner, Trish has provoked, pioneered and managed social enterprises, projects, programs and quests in the tertiary, adult and paediatric health, urban arts and cultural sectors. Currently a Good Design Australia ambassador Fellow of the Centre for Conscious Design, Board Director of the South Australian Living Arts Festival, as well as serving on the other committees, including Good Design Australia. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Trish. Thank you, Hanya. It's so fabulous to have you here, or for you to have me here, as the case may be. So, Trish, before we talk about purpose and culture and trust, let's dig a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell me what was your earliest experience of governance?
1: My earliest experience of governance was as the chair of the Norwood High School Charity Committee. Mm-hmm. So it was really selling cakes and finding other ways to raise money in a high school environment that were then presented to different charities uh, at, at the end of the school year. That's my very earliest Experience That went on to being on school council, student representative and uh, even um, things I hadn't thought about for decades, like the uh, school captain. Oh. And, I, and I wasn't particularly sporty. I didn't see myself as particularly sporty and not very competitive, which
0: is school captains. Probably not very helpful. Well, maybe it's a. Uh, it, it's probably what more school captains should be like and maybe a more regenerative leadership approach than the competitive approach. So maybe it was just coming out in you very early. Yeah, I think it was.
1: I think I've always been of that mindset yes. of understanding that a distributed power of capacity is is much more helpful and strong than a hierarchical mm. uh, old power, if you like. Yes. Uh, so new power is something that I guess has been in my mind forever as long as I can remember mm-hmm. and uh, especially when it comes to dignity and, and how do we embed dignity in, in all that we do, including our decision-making.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, thinking about, the shifting dynamics of power. You talk about old power and new power. Explain old power and new power to us and, and well, let's explain it first and let's see where that goes. Okay. Well, it depends who you ask. I mean, there's
1: more writing recently around old power and new power. I think there's a book by um, Jeremy Hymans and Henry Timms around old power, new power, which defines it really nicely and that's where I'll start. But, of course, then there's First Nations considerations mm. of old power, which is enduring Models of power, which kind of turn that a little bit on its head as well. So the contemporary thinking of old power, new power, is that old power is very hierarchical, where the power and the influence sits at the top and um, is in service to the hierarchy. New power is much more distributed, where the nodes of power are flatter and well distributed, so that a bit more like an electrical circuit, Mm -hmm. where if the nodes are strong then everything's stronger. If a node is weak, then everything's weaker, so that there is an inherent and intrinsic investment in the health of the whole ecosystem. Now, when we think about that from a First Nations perspective in speaking to First Nations friends and colleagues, of course, what we now might call new power has been around since the beginning of humanity. And uh, there are several tenets that seem to be common, which um, I think when we ask our First Nations leaders about decision-making, it's really quite different to what we've established in the industrial era as good governance. Mm. So, uh, And I'm not a First Nations elder, so I can only ask and listen, but there are some commonalities. And it's fascinating when we start thinking about what that means for our, our governance structures. So things like moving at the speed of trust, that's something I first heard from the Black Space Alliance in the US, which is interesting, isn't it? If we were to stop pouring concrete, for instance, if it was an urban decision, because we hadn't got trust. Uh, another one which is intriguing is putting the relationship before the task, thinking in generations, mm-hmm. multiple generations, and being open to different perspectives. Here, Uncle Lewis O'Brien on Ghana country here in South Australia uh, speaks of hearing in two ways. There's two small hills in the Adelaide Hills, which mm-hmm. is um, Adelaide's, as you know, is nested on the plains between the ocean and the hills. And the, the hills, there are two hills, which for, since the beginning of, of humanity have been called your Riddler, means two ears. And it's a, it's a symbol and a reminder to think in two ways, as Uncle Lewis would describe.
0: For the boards that either you're on or been on, how has that played out? How has that shifting dynamic of power played out in the boardroom for you?
1: And it's changing, I think. Mm. Immediately, I'd say over the last five years, I've noticed that I can finish a sentence more effectively. Whereas for years, it was really difficult to find air in any meeting, really, including some board meetings. What I'm most excited by is the recognition of needing to hear the voices at the table and also a recognition of the importance of challenging questions. And several chairs, and including myself, have over the last several years really valued that diversity on boards and acknowledge that the strength of a board will be determined by its diversity, that distributed power. We can still see boards, of course, that are completely in service to a hierarchy. And I think that is one of the greatest challenges of governance of, of our time, is really getting to the guts of what is it in service to? deeply asking ourselves that question what is it in service to beyond our obligations and beyond performance but what is it in service to in relation to the broader community and our natural environment uh, i think we are at a really interesting time for for boards where all boards especially over the next decade is how the un's describing it that decisions we're making in this next 10 years will determine the future survival of the human species and that means that we need to transform the ways that we inhabit this place and boards are a crucial part of that ecosystem mm. so the decisions we make will either regenerate this planet for a thriving future for people and the environment or extract and we'll only be able to fake it for so long
0: so as the chair of a board What's in your practice? What's in your toolkit to ensure that there is that regenerative practice, regenerative leadership and new power? You know, and even, you know, you're now able to finish a sentence, although it is often easier to finish a sentence from the chair's position than it is for others. But what's in your practice as the chair to ensure that that space is held?
1: I think honouring where you've come from. So that the, there have been leaders in the past that have achieved extraordinary things and very often are still seeking voice. And I think one way that I've found quite effective to encourage former leaders to embrace whatever's next is to honour what they've done and formally. So I've had the opportunity to do that in a ceremonial way and create a, a structure for a board to to have a, an honouring system of past leaders. Tell, tell me more. So that was um, with the Australian Institute of Urban Studies. It's mm-hmm. an established uh, South Australian organisation that exists to provoke conversation, discussion and debate mm-hmm. around all matters to do with urban life. It started out very much as in an urban planning setting, and it was funded federally. I think there's still a couple of chapters around the country, but South Australia's still uh, still established. The planning profession, uh, which was primarily driven by uh, legal professions, was incredibly robust, as you can imagine. And the conversations and debates were rigorous and and lively. And When I was the president of the Australian Institute of Urban Studies, I wanted to honour that. So we had the privilege of being hosted by the governor, Hugh Van Lee, Mm -hmm. here in South Australia at Government House for a a reception where we could provide former leaders of this institute with a lifelong fellowship.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Fantastic. So it's building that bridge, isn't it, between the history and the future? Yeah. Yeah. You talked about the responsibility of boards over the next 10 years. You know, boards always have a big responsibility, but as you say, the next 10 years are probably key in terms of all of our futures. what's your advice to boards around that accountability for the impact that their organisations are making? I think starting with being
1: really honest about what you're in service to. Mm. We become so tangled in the noise of operations and risk that we actually even miss the real risks. Mm. And if we look, for instance, at climate change, it's a major risk and we've been treating it in some sectors as even a non-entity. It's got me to thinking that we're actually not risk-averse but we're change-averse. So I think genuinely and deeply considering the question, what is this in service to? And if it is not in service to flourishing humanity, on a thriving planet, then it's part of the problem. Mm. And so asking that question first up and always, constantly, what is it in service to? Then I I, I guess being um, really clear about doing no harm. Mm. So that's as deep as you want it to be. But if you are part of the extraction story, mm. that is part of the problem. Now, it's not only a problem in terms of um, continuing to destroy the planet, the assets that we have and the, the uh, essence of place and the well-being of people, but it's going to be shameful. And we've got a generation of young people emerging that will not outlive the shame mm. of inaction. So the other thing I would suggest is accept where you find yourself and make incremental change. Just do the long hard work of incrementally transforming probably most of what we're doing uh, to be more regenerative and really asking that question, is it regenerative, deeply regenerative,
0: or is it extracting? Mm. Okay. So I want to, you know, what am I in service to? Do no harm. In a practical way, how can boards incorporate that into their conversations, into their board papers, into their strategy days, into their thinking? How does your board do it? How does it – is it part of the board papers? You know, what is this in service to? Have I done no harm? Or is it questions that are asked at the strategy day? How how is that incorporated in practical ways? Yeah, I think using every instrument
1: that's available to Mm. you to do that Mm -hmm. and working out how you incentivise and how you reward regeneration over extraction. Mm -hmm. Even understanding what that means for your organisation is crucial and quite unique. So having that mindset mm. and heart set, really, it's, it's not just a shift in mindset, it's a shift in heart set and what's important to you and what's important to the future and really earnestly honouring that in your decision making. Now, of course, there's some very practical tools around environmental impact, around reducing carbon, around um, using circular materials. It's so broad. There's so much and it's so big. Depending Mm -hmm. on your organisation, you really need to find for yourself what's relevant. But in terms of culture, we humans have evolved from the same stardust, mushrooms, apes, Mm -hmm. into these complex cultural thinking creatures, considering what the impact on culture will be, what is the impact on cultural richness for people, on people's sense of trust and connectedness and belonging. And capacity to interact, capacity to contribute, capacity to flourish and thrive as a human being. What's the impact of that decision on the vibe Mm. of the organisation but also on the impact that's being had? So if you're working towards a goal that's actually destroying the vibe, Mm. you are being extractionist, even if your board performs perfectly. So what we've done, of course, is designed the perfect conditions for what we've got now which is destroying the planet, as we know. Mm -hmm. And we could talk a lot about what that damage is, but ultimately we've got this incredible model, this platform of boards and governance where it's crucial that we take on these decisions at the board level Mm -hmm. and, in fact, the only way. So even though we know that we will see this this shifting of power and and new systems emerging and, and more distributed power paradigms coming to the fore... We've got boards, the board structure as it exists right now is a, a crucial platform
0: for transformation. So did you have in there culture, how does culture link in to that, they're not at either ends, extractive and and um, regenerative, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but how does culture fit in? So... We are often talking about culture
1: in terms of organisational culture. Mm-hmm. But really, if we go one deeper than that, it's the culture you have within yourself, yep. how you choose to be as a human being. And then if we go out a concentric circle, if you like, to what does that mean for your family home? What does that mean for your street and neighbourhood? What does that mean for your city? What does that mean for your country? What does that mean as a planet? Mm. So considering the impact of your decisions on human culture might be helpful in you working through what is it in service to. Mm, Yeah. So if you are asking yourself on every decision, what is the impact of this decision on, for instance, people's sense of connection to Mm -hmm. each other, Mm -hmm. people's sense of connection to place, people's sense of connection to nature? Mm -hmm. There's no one answer to that it's something that you need to ask yourself as a board director and and then let that play out with all the wisdom and knowledge and information that you have have around you i think coming into that also is is transcending data you know we've got more data in our phones than we can ever hope to digest in a lifetime but there is something that transcends data and information and it's using that discerningly for mm. wisdom Yes, uh, data is not enough it is 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 important and it's something, but it's not enough. So, how might your decision mm. strengthen wisdom and once we start having these conversations which are really ambiguous and will lead us into all sorts of uncertain territory, but being able to harness that ambiguity and hold space mm. and hold the space to um navigate that ambiguity. Mm. And to allow whatever to emerge
0: will lead to better decisions. Yeah. And it's such a key role for boards, isn't it? Like Crucial. If things were black and white, you wouldn't need a board, would you? The executive team could just run off and do it. But the idea of having a not always independent board, but independent people to bounce things around is getting those different perceptions of things, which are often mostly grey. So there is no right and wrong.
1: Yeah. And I think too, we've come out of a generation where the board is the um, instrument of reinforcing old power. Mm. You know, we've used boards to progress our own self-interest, our our professional self-interests, rather than thinking about what is it in service to, what is really deeply important to me as a human being, to my family, to my place, and how do I be in service to that Mm-hmm. It's really struck me interestingly, uh, more recently talking to First Nations people again around working on country. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill Gamage, who's published a, a brilliant book called The Greatest Estate, mentions early in the book, he uses the sentence, First Nations people work on country in fear of their spirit. Mm. And it got me thinking about how there is no choice in that. That it is a, a deep commitment to nourishing the conditions conducive to your own survival mm. and if boards are there for that purpose to actually help humanity mm-hmm. flourish, mm-hmm. then working on a board is is a potentially a contemporary act of working on country yeah and we should be doing that in service to Humanity, Mm. a dignified humanity, a dignified human future and especially a nourishing planet, Mm. a nourished planet, a thriving, flourishing planet. Mm. Otherwise, what's the point? If we are in the extraction world, we are essentially counterbalancing everything, every action of regeneration. Mm. And if you can imagine all of those competing forces sitting in a ball, if you like, because there's so much competition, one's drawing one way, one's drawing the other way, But essentially the ball's bouncing off the cliff
0: and if nobody's watching the ball bounce off the cliff, what's the point? So it makes so much sense, doesn't it, for individuals and boards to ask themselves, well, what what am I in service to? What are we in service to? Why doesn't it happen? Ego. Mm. Somehow. Something happened a couple of,
1: I think, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, but especially in the last 50 years where self-interest has become dominant Mm. And if we think about, there's this lovely exercise, if we look at all of Earth's history over since 4.5 billion years ago Mm. to now in the context of one calendar year. So let's condense all of Earth's history into one calendar year. Mm -hmm. 4.5 billion years ago is when Earth formed from rock and gas and formed a planet. Uh, 3.8 billion years ago was the 25th of February. Mm. And that's when life began, first simple-celled organisms. 28th of March is when those cells started a primitive form of photosynthesis. By mid-July, those cells had a nucleus, which allowed them to have sex in September. And so in September, we get this explosion of diverse and complex life. So by November, we've got insects and fungi And by December, we've got reptiles and land plants and early mammals. Mid-December, 13th of December, dinosaurs. Mm. 25th of December, dinosaurs become extinct. 31st of December, the last day of the year at lunchtime, 11.30am, hominids, apes, walk. Mm. Wow. We stand up. By 11.36pm, 24 minutes to midnight, homo sapiens. Wow. 11.58pm is the end of the last ice age, the last 10,000 years, which is when we started most formal forms of agriculture, even though that we know First Nations cultures globally have been Mm. cultivating land since the beginning of of human evolution. 11.59pm and 58 seconds, two seconds ago, industrial revolution. So we've only been at this extraction business really for two seconds. Wow! Now, now of course, in those two seconds, we've developed telescopes that can see back to the beginning of time. We've done extraordinary things. Mm. We've got microscopes that look at the very DNA and core of life. We know that we've got 14 months until the sun burns out in 5 billion years. So we are at this moment, which various leaders have talked about as a rite of passage. And like any rite of passage, we don't know the outcome. We are right here. And it seems to be really focused on this decade. Mm. So I don't know which direction we're going in, whether humans will survive as a species or not. This is the ultimate test and we're in it. So, of course, we have established boards. They are our governance structures that exist at the moment. Mm -hmm. How do we use them to the full force of of service uh, to humanity
0: and the planet? Oh, that is such a beautiful way of just... Exemplifying where we're at and where it's been. Beautiful, thank you. I know I knew this would happen. This time goes way too quickly. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Consider
1: what you're in service to, Mm. consider it deeply and fearlessly, and determine which side you're on because you can't extract and regenerate at the same time. Mm. You're either doing one or the other. And I think asking ourselves, what am I in service to? Mm. What is this in service to? And really you can apply that question to a conversation, a relationship, Mm. uh, a friendship, business, a project. What is it in service
0: to? And is there a, a resource that you would recommend for people, either in exploring this or in other governance thinking? Is there a resource you'd like to recommend to the Take On Board community?
1: There's a long
0: list Uh, I've
1: developed a a cultural compass, which Mm. I'd be very happy to share, and that's on my website. But I think there are so many wonderful resources. Gaia Education's got resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, Regenesis, an incredible company, have uh, wonderful frameworks uh, to consider. Uh, Daniel Christian Vahl is a, uh, a biologist uh, now with a PhD and based in Mallorca mm-hmm. who has a, a terrific book. There's there's so much information, mm. but I'd just start with uh, regeneration. Yeah, and a regenerative board is is really the the instrument. It's the heart set and the mindset of being regenerative, mm. which we all need to to embrace. And for us in Australia, that's fairly easy to do in relation to being connected with nature and starting to really learn from nature instead of learning about nature and learning from First Nations instead of learning about First Nations, learning from diverse cultures instead of learning about First Cultures I'd say um learning about regeneration is really important the other thing of course from a board perspective is is have a good look at diversity yeah and who has voice mm-hmm. and how do we sometimes be quiet and give voice to the quiet mm-hmm. and allow time to even recognise who and, and and what that means mm and also giving voice to the vulnerable mm. so that we can actually understand the depth of what we're in service to.
0: Oh, as always, what a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for giving your time and opening your house to me here in Adelaide to have this fabulous conversation. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. Thank you, Helia. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.